Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Bismillah walhamdulillah. Wassalatu wassalam ala rasulillah. Amma ba'd. Um, I'm just going to pull up the uh, Facebook on my uh, computer as well. So I can see live what you guys are seeing and any um, questions that may be coming in. So I can keep track of that as well. So just bear with me for a moment. Just pulling up the Facebook now. It's going to be quite odd watching myself streaming live. Anyhow, I think let's just start. So first of all, Jazakallahu Khairan to um, Nahid uh, for setting up the uh, camera equipment, which is looking considerably better than it was last time. Um, so Jazakallahu Khairan to him. I think these kind of things make, uh, make a big difference. Um, the other thing that I wanted to say, and, um, and, and sorry, I'm not being a modern uh, 21st century um, individual by looking at the phone whilst live broadcasting I, I literally am just pulling it up on my um, phone because I think it's important um, in order to um, be able to see any questions that might be coming in from you guys uh, so that we can uh, so that I can track them uh, adequately um, so in terms of what we are going to be doing today inshallah um, the idea is um, that we will be um, covering Oh, I think I've got it now. I've got it on. But the big question is, can I get it to mute? Excellent. Right. So I've got it to mute as well. So um, last week we covered Surah Fatiha and we went through things like Da'awud, uh, the seeking refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the shaitan and the themes of arrogance that came out of that and how that's applicable for us um, today in our day and age. The other thing that we went through was uh, talking about how the economy as a whole and the, and the intricacies of the economy as a whole are also from the ayat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we can reflect on. And then we also talked about rahmah and how um, that has a massive role to play in how we interact with the world, um, both physically and spiritually, but also economically. So... Today, inshallah, we are going to be uh, moving on to uh, Surah Baqarah and there are really three key things that I would quite like to explore today. The first is that we need to think about uh, Islam, uh, we need to think about Islamic finance and any mu'amalat um, um, kind of uh, topics, mu'amalat uh, meaning transactional topics or interactional topics in the context within which they're situated i.e. we need to uh, make sure we don't forget the bigger picture uh, and that can mean lots of different things and we, we can talk about that in, in detail today. The other thing is that uh, sometimes we, you know, when you're, um, when you're uh, in the midst of a very uh, difficult issue or a practical issue, you'll take a view on something, you, you know, you'll take a, um, an educated opinion or, or you'll have to, uh, you know, kind of shrug your shoulders and say, look, this is the way it is. And um, this is how we're going to do it. And if it kind of goes against Islam, 
then so what we'll risk it so it's thinking about that and whether or not that's an acceptable viewpoint um, and how do we tackle that uh, today uh, is, is another uh, issue that I'll be discussing so taking a view or not and then the final thing is uh, discussing the concept of enjoining economic good and enjoining economic evil and how that has a role to play when we talk about Islamic finance and Islamic economics generally. And really the, the ayat that we're going to focus on today um, are uh, the very first ayahs of Surah Baqarah. Uh, Allah Taala He says, and we send down of the Quran that which is um, this is the scripture in which there is no doubt containing guidance for those who are mindful of God and who believe in the unseen. Um, Keep up the prayers and give out what we have provided for them. And when it is said to them, uh, and so, so and that's uh, ayah 2 and 3. So this is the scripture in which there is no doubt containing guidance for those who are mindful to God and who believe in the unseen. And so the, the first thing is uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that this Quran has come down as a guidance and it is a guidance for a specific subset of people and that is uh, the muttaqeen, those who uh, are mindful of God. And so we need to think about, well, what does that mean? Uh, and also thinking about the concept of hidayah in a more um, holistic perspective as well. So the first thing is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says in other parts of the Quran, so this is the, the, uh, a very um, common and standard approach of doing tafsir, which is, we look at the Qur'an uh, and understand it by looking at other parts of the Qur'an because that in the round will give us a good understanding of what the Qur'an gets at. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says in another part of the Qur'an in uh, Surah 17 إِنَّا أَنزَلْنَاهُ قُرْآنًا لِتُنْ أَنزَلْنَاهُ That we send down of the Qur'an that which is a healing and a mercy to those who believe and it, it, it increases the zalimeen, the wrongdoers or the oppressors in nothing but loss and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he says again uh, O mankind there has come to you a good advice and a shifa and a cure for what is in the hearts uh, and, a, and a mercy for the believers. So again, there's this concept of healing and there's a concept of mercy. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he is saying that the Quran and this, uh, and this uh, revelation that we, are, um, that we are reading, right from the start, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he's saying, So this, this is a guidance, but also it's a mercy. And it's uh, and it's a uh, uh, and it's a shifa for for humankind. Now, why are we talking about this in the context of um, Islamic finance and the Islamic economy? Um, so the, the first thing is that the Quran and Islam as a whole um, is a package. 
And Islam is not just a spiritual thing. Islam is not uh, a yoga exercise. Islam is not a political ideology uh, isolated from uh, spirituality or theology. Islam is not just, uh, you know, a um, even an economic system. Islam is all of these things and more packed together. It is a complete um, way of life or an approach to how one lives one's life. And um, the same goes uh, for how we live our economic lives and how we structure our uh, our economies in a way that um, manifests those key values that Islamic finance or Islamic economies or economics uh, promotes, uh, such as justice, equality, fairness, etc., uh, and specific guidelines around them. So, it it actually when the Quran says that it has come as a guidance and a ma'rahma, a mercy and a shifa and a cure um, for for people, that means that the uh, Islamic economic teachings are also part of that and we should sincerely believe that we should sincerely believe that if we move to a world where um, we are living more in accordance with what the um, the creator or what the almighty who created this um, entire ecosystem for us um, wants us to live by then we will be um, living a more happy fruitful and fulfilling life so that's the first thing. So we need to um, we need to share that message with other people. And in order to share that message, we firstly need to understand what that message in uh, message is. And and that is part of, inshallah, what um, we're having these um, uh, we're having these tafasir um, sessions for. Um, the other thing to mention is that uh, we mustn't lose sight of the structure within which Islamic finance sits. So. Often, when we get into these discussions about Islamic finance, I mean, the, the most hot topics are often things like Islamic mortgages or shares. And that's all fine and good. Um, but what we must not do is um, lose sight of, um, of the wood for the trees, to use, the, uh, to use an expression. What we must not do is to get so embroiled in the intricacies of this debate or this um, or these matters, and um, forget why we're doing this in the first place. So Allah Subhanahu wa Taala He goes on, "Hudal lil muttaqin, aladina yu'minuna bil ghaybi wa yuqimuna salaa wa mimma rasaknahum yunfikun." Allah Subhanahu wa Taala He uh, emphasizes those who believe in the unseen. So He emphasizes the spiritual. Wa yuqimuna salaa. He emphasizes those who pray. He emphasizes the physical, the physical commitment to doing certain actions. Uh, and then who spend from what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has, uh, has given them. So there's, there's this entirety to the way that a Muslim must approach his life. And we often, when we get into the weeds of an argument and um, we really get into the technicalities of it, we sometimes lose that. So we, we absolutely mustn't do that. So that's part of when I say, you know, we must not forget the bigger picture. That's certainly part of it. The other part of it is that. Um, we mustn't forget um, where where we are in terms of the historic timeline and in terms of geography and in terms of um, you know the evolution and development of society as a whole as well. So an, an example of that is again Islamic mortgages. Um, now we we've written a fair few articles on IFG on this, 
so I'm not going to go into too much detail right now on this topic. We might do, inshallah, in, in future sessions. But uh, one of the key arguments with, uh, with Islamic uh, mortgages is that um, critics will say, well, Islamic mortgages, they, um, they have certain issues like, um, you know, they will compare the, their rates uh, exactly against um, the rates of other banks or they, um, they are listed um, with regulators as, as a financial services or a lending uh, entity or, or various um, uh, other kind of uh, concerns like for example they charge more than um, conventional mortgages do or conventional banks do. Now uh, there, are, there are multiple things to talk about here but the, the salient point that I really want to make at this point is that one of the big arguments, um, I suppose, in, uh, in response to these kind of um, uh, problems or these kind of criticisms is that Islamic mortgages are a product of our time. They are a product of um, 21st century Britain, where the majority of people are not Muslim and the majority of uh, mortgage providers are not Islamic. And the regulator has been structured and the economy has been structured and all of the pipework of the economy and the, um, the payment systems has been structured in such a way so as to make it easy for uh, conventional mortgage providers to do their business. Now, when you're asking an Islamic bank to plug into that system, then there are naturally going to be certain things that will need to be um, tweaked um, in, order to, uh, in order to deal with that. Um, so, for example, if the um, you know, if if uh, a Rayan bank uses a comparator against the interest rate, like LIBOR, for example, um, as an indication, uh, so as to allow people to compare against other mortgage providers, that in itself is not uh, you know un-Islamic. That is because it is a product of its time. Similarly, with with shares, another argument that um, arises is well. Uh, a lot of um, modern Islamic uh, finance scholars have taken the view that if your haram income is below a certain threshold, um, normally set at say 5%, and if your debt is below a certain threshold, normally set at around 33% uh, to your assets, um, then that is permissible. And um, the, the argument goes, well, why is that permissible? Surely any haram income should be um, a, me a, a reason why you do not invest in that um, company and surely any debt whatsoever me is, a, is a reason why you shouldn't invest in that company. Now again the, the argument really against that is that well if you take that view then that means what exactly? It means that uh, Muslims who have pensions um, who have any sort of savings in uh, savings vehicles where they're held in funds or in the stock market, any exposure to the stock market, Muslims will not be able to do that because um, the, the amount of companies that do not have any haram income and do not have any debt whatsoever is going to be vanishingly small and the the result of that is that you're going to um, render the Muslim community um, unable, completely unable to um, save for the future. 
And as we'll go into a key part of um, what the financial system is supposed to do and what we need the financial system to do is to smooth our earnings across our lifetimes. So when we're young, we earn money, we earn more money and we save that up. And then as we get older, we, we need that money and we need to retire and use that saved money uh, and, and we draw down from our savings. Now, in order to maintain that capital, we need to be able to put it in a diversified portfolio of assets so as to be able to maintain uh, you know, the, the, the portfolio's value. And a big part of doing that is putting it into stocks and shares. Now, if you look at any uh, pension fund out there, um, they, the majority of them will have a big chunk of their portfolio in stocks and shares because that's such a big part of uh, you know, a, an asset class that you can invest in. Uh, and so, again, without belaboring the point, we must see the wider picture within which um, our uh, specific, uh, you know, mu'amalat issues sit. Because if we don't see it in that wider picture, then really our, our analysis is quite limited. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that ultimately either of those things um, is uh, completely fine and permissible because of this, the argument I have made. I happen to be convinced by that argument in these cases, uh, but you know there, there is a diversity of views on this matter, and uh, and and there are other arguments, um, you know, for and against that have to be weighed up. Uh, but at this point, I'm just um, proposing one of the important arguments uh, in the for and against that that we should be um, considering. The um, if we move on, then Allah Subhanahu wa Taala he he says. Um, the servant will not. So this is uh, this is a hadith. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. He says the servant will not acquire the status of a muttaqin, uh, and this is of course uh, what was being discussed as uh, the guidance that has come in the Quran is for the muttaqin. The the um, the ones who are mindful of God. The hadith goes, the servant will not require, will not acquire the status of a muttaqin until he abandons what is harmless out of fear of falling into that which is harmful. And that's a, a hadith uh, in, in Tirmidhi. Um, so we need to be very cautious when it comes to uh, our day-to-day -day affairs, especially around uh, financial topics. What I, I see often tends to happen uh, in these areas is where something is a bit complex or where you're not really sure or where it's quite difficult to, um, to carry out you know, what, what you want, then sometimes people will start taking a view on things. So what do I mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is if you um, have a pension at work and you... Um, can quite easily um, contact the pension provider and explore the option of changing your current pension, which is most likely going to be in a conventional pension fund, which is not going to be halal. If you have the option of calling up the pension provider and switching to a halal option, which there are a few out there, um, it's a bit of a hassle. And sometimes we will take a view on this sort of thing. We'll think, oh, well, you know, it's, it's a pension. I mean, everyone needs a pension um, and, and, you know, therefore it's fine. Yes, it is fine. But then we should make sure that we are actually putting in the hard yards that, you know, it's not even that hard to reach out and make sure that 
what we can do to make it halal is actually done. Uh, and we don't just take a view on things. Or another um, uh, uh, issue is, again, mortgages. Uh, one of the arguments for people saying, I just took out a conventional mortgage is, well, uh, it's quite hard to um, uh, take out an Islamic mortgage. There's less of them and they're harder to get. Um, they're, they're more expensive. Um, and isn't it all just the same as a conventional mortgage and they're, and they're more expensive? And so because of all of these reasons, I, I took a bit of a view and I... Um, and I've just gone for a, a, a standard mortgage um, because it made sense to me because, um, you know, I, it just it just made sense. And it's this kind of thing. I mean, I'm not saying um, I'm not saying that there aren't actually reputable scholars who do allow you to um, potentially get a conventional mortgage because there are. I mean, I, I would disagree with them, but there are these scholars out there. Um, what I'm saying here is the approach taken by such people is that, well, I'm just going to take a view on this. And I'm going to come to um, a decision that really is what I want, as opposed to what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants, which is what we should actually be prioritizing. Uh, and that is um, extremely problematic. Now, um, the, the other thing to mention here, when we're talking about this concept of, of guidance, you know, this is the book, uh, in it there is no doubt. Guidance for those who are mindful of God. When we're talking about this, we need to think about uh, this concept of guidance. What is this concept of guidance? This concept of guidance is uh, one that ultimately comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He is the one who guides whoever he wishes and he will uh, misguide anyone he wishes. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says uh, to Rasulullah mundir. You are but a warner or you are but someone who is sent down uh, to um, guide them. Uh, and for every people, there is a person sent down to guide them as well. So that's a really simple principle that really Rasulullah Prophet Muhammad, it's not your duty to change anyone's mind it's your duty to convey the message and uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one ultimately who has that responsibility and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he says in other parts of the Quran Lakum wal for you is your way of life and for us is our way of life um, Allah, there is this concept there of um, you must um, uh, you know you have your way of life and you have your path that you have chosen and, and that's your uh, prerogative and we have our path, and, and that's what we have chosen. Um, and that's fine and well when um, that doesn't affect us. But then there are certain situations where someone not being a Muslim and someone not following what the Islamic way of life is has an impact on how we can uh, live our lives and be uh, Muslims. So this is really all of the things that constitute society. Uh, so anything that has uh, that has in part a, in, a relationship with wider society. So, for example, um, things like marriage or uh, lowering one's gaze. Now, that is um, harder to do in a society which doesn't share the same ethics as um, as you know a, a Muslim, a standard Muslim would. Um, to give an, uh, to give a, a, a simple example, uh, and but also it is true 
in the context of um, Islamic economics because within Islamic economics you also have this issue of um, living within uh, a non-Muslim country where the, the financial system is completely um, at odds at many times to um, a, an Islamic financial system and so we have this juxtaposition, we have this problem where we're trying to be good Muslims, we're trying to live life according to how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to live life and we're living, we, we're uh, trying to follow the uh, teachings and commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on financial matters. However, we are living in a society where systemically there are certain things that make it very problematic and very challenging for us to really fully follow the, the commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what do we do about this? Well, I suppose the, the good news is that there are uh, hadith that mention um, this precise point um, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, where Rasulullah he mentions how there will come a time when um, uh, you know you will have riba um, that will be so prevalent that everyone will be involved in it and even those who aren't involved in it they will be sprinkled by the dust of this riba of this interest the, the point being made here is that haram will become uh, widespread in the, in the, in the context of, uh, of the economy or finance and it's going to be very hard to get away from it. Uh, so this has been envisaged, this idea that you might come into a, 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 a time where um, the, the wrong actions or the, um, the sins, if you want to call it, of other people um, have created a society that is not conducive to you being able to fulfill your duties. And that's certainly the case um, in our time uh, in, in the financial sector. And so how do we deal with that? How do we deal with that issue? So there's, this is where it comes to the third point that really I wanted to touch on, on today. And that's enjoining good and forbidding evil, enjoining economic good and forbidding economic evil. Um, and uh, for those um, who, who, who um, ha will have studied a little bit, they will have come across this concept of Amr bil ma'roof wa nahi anil munkar, which is a key part of Islam. Amr bil ma'roof, enjoining the good and forbidding the evil, encouraging the good uh, and uh, allowing it to come into being and forbidding and preventing the evil. And the way you do that, there are three criteria for that as explained in a hadith. The first is that you, if you can, you encourage a good action by your hand or you uh, stop a bad action or a bad thing um, actively as possible um, if you can. So if, if a child is about to fall into a, uh, uh, you know, a fire or something, you drag that child back. Um, the second level of uh, activity is that you say with your tongue that this thing that is going on is not acceptable. This thing that is going on should not be going on and that uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, discourages you or tells you that this is forbidden. So if for example someone is, uh, you, you spot someone uh, shoplifting and you don't have the courage to uh, actively stop that person from shoplifting, you might um, tell him that look I've seen you, it looks like you're shoplifting, that's not a good thing to do. So that would be telling someone verbally that this is not a good thing. And then the final thing is to know in your heart that the action that is being done is a good or bad thing and it, where it's a bad thing to dislike it 
and to wish that it wasn't being done. So that's like the third and lowest form of, um, of forbidding the evil. So we've got these three options here. Now, how does that all fit into um, our responsibilities vis-a-vis -vis Islamic finance and Islamic economics? Well, the first thing I suppose that we should do is understand uh, what it is that we are actually enjoining people to. So we need to do a bit of reading about um, what does an Islamic economy look like? Uh, and, and we can talk about that, inshallah, today very briefly. Um, the other thing is that we then need to look at the, the way the system is currently and what the problems are with that system and uh, itemize what exactly these issues are and how finally do we deal with these issues well what does islam say are alternatives to these problems that are found in in the current financial system and what, what do they look like and they need to be practical things and I, i'm not sat here saying that i necessarily have all the answers but this is uh, a framework how we should be approaching uh, this topic so uh, let's turn to the, the first issue which is you know, what does an Islamic economy look like? Well, um, I, I was looking at some interesting statistics. There's a great uh, few books by a man called uh, John Kay, who's, uh, I believe, an Oxford uh, academic, might be a professor now as well. And um, he's written a, a financial, uh, a great book on, um, on, on the financial system called Other People's Money uh, or something along those lines. Um, so I recommend that as a good read. Um, but in terms of thinking about the economy, a good way that um, I found quite useful to understand is uh, ultimately there's this middle group of people who make stuff, uh, who will take raw goods from, say, farmers or other miners, for example, raw producers, and they will take all of those ingredients, they will get their employees, and then they will... Uh, come together in this whole arena where they make stuff so you could call it factories and so these are the people who often will have a relationship with the wider world outside of this country so they may export goods and they may import um, raw materials or uh, things that they need so this is one big part of this economic puzzle uh, if you want to call it that the the second big part um, of this economic puzzle is the uh, is the pools of capital that uh, actually let's before we go into the pools of capital let's think about how this company runs itself well this company runs itself um, through a mixture of equity um, financing and a mixture of debt financing um, and this is I'm just talking about a, a normal conventional economy um, so They'll use money, they'll use loans from banks to get some money and they'll use uh, money raised from buying, by, uh, from selling shares of, of their company to the wider public. And so they'll raise money that way as well. So both of these uh, pieces of um, financing uh, are pumped into this company um, and together with the entrepreneur's own startup capital, they make stuff using their employees' um, you know, efforts and using the raw goods. And then they'll start exporting and importing or, or selling within their domestic uh, economy as well. So the people who will help this business uh, in all of these matters is the financial system. So the financial system is 
a servant of and a and a facilitator of the the making of goods and services uh, the making of uh, of goods in the economy of productive activity in the economy the financial system is itself is not the focus of the economy it is something that uh, enables the economy um, and the financial system uh, so john Key discusses this um, he uh, outlines four different um, roles of a financial system uh, one is that they allow you to um, act they allow you to um, make payments and receive payments so they're the guys who you know when you get bt uh, bt internet or you get any kind of internet and they have to lay the lines to your house the financial system is, is are the guys who own the lines um, where money is being transferred uh, and so they facilitate payments between everyone the second thing that they do is that they match up between um, people who have money and people who need money so in this case companies and people who have money are either investors or people who put money into um, into accounts savings accounts for example and so they act as intermediaries between the two and they take a cut uh, in the middle um, from that uh, and also they make a, a cut from the interest earned on the other side so you've got this uh, second key role which is uh, intermediation and uh, and matching up between people who have money and people who need money and then the third thing that these guys do is that they um, enable us as individuals to manage our personal finances so over the course of um, our lives as mentioned earlier we will need to smooth out our earnings so at the, t at the start, we don't have any savings, but we have lots of energy and we are working so we can save up a lot. But then over time, our energies go down and we get closer to retirement and we start needing our savings to come up, uh, to be used so that we can maintain an, uh, an equal uh, level of um, living and a level of pay that we, we, we can live upon every month. So they, they help us do that and they help us do that by placing our money into, uh, into um, uh, investments for us over the over a long period of time and then the final thing that these guys do is risk management and so uh you know you've got things like uh, life insurance home insurance and uh, these sort of issues they will deal with that um as well um by way of analyzing the risk and uh using financial um uh, instruments and uh contracts to be able to take on that risk away from you uh, and to give you a piece of uh, uh to give you peace of mind so there's these four roles that this financial system has, theoretically. Unfortunately, the current uh, economic system that we have, there are some absolutely remarkable um, statistics that, um, that John Kay mention mentions. And he says that um, in, the, in the financial system currently, there are um, 600 to 700 trillion dollars worth of derivatives being traded which is about six to seven times the world gb entire world gdp and he mentions how there's 70 times uh, more uh, financial transactions taking place um, than the financial transactions that would need to take place in order for businesses to get on and do what they need to do 
In other words, what he is saying, and he said he mentions things like high frequency trading, how in some um, trading areas, uh, in some uh, stock exchanges or uh, trading venues, um, high frequency trading, so trading that is done by computers, is now almost half of all the trading that is taking place on that platform. And, and, and that's entirely computers who are using, uh, uh, who are using various algorithms to, to pinpoint any minute discrepancies in price that they can use to arbitrage between uh, and, and make money that way. And then uh, he, he talks about um, how the balance sheets of banks are approximately seven trillion. Um, however, when we look at the real economy, um, really uh, only 3% of that is the borrowing that is needed for people in the real economy. Uh, so Shaheen has asked, why don't you use a whiteboard? That's a great idea. I have actually ordered a chalkboard. Um, so inshallah, I will be, uh, I'll probably be continuing this, um, this same topic uh, next week. And I can show a, a diagram of this. And maybe I can uh, upload a picture of that diagram uh, to, to the, the website so you can, you can get that as well. Um, so I suppose the point I'm making here is the financial system relative to the, the, this big bubble, if you want to think of it that way, this big bubble that is the group of people who are making stuff, who are being useful and productive uh, for human life because they're helping people live human life. And this group of people who are in the financial system that enables this group of people who are making stuff to make stuff. This small financial system, which is really supposedly a servant of um, the real economy, is actually um, has mushroomed in the last 30, 40, 50 years to a, a remarkable size where it just completely, um, completely uh, dwarfs any uh, any activity that happens in the real economy and that's why the financial the financial industry in the city in in london or in new york has such enormous clout and that's because it's become such a huge part of any economy um, much more so than um, than it really um, than it really should have and um, the reasons behind that are fairly complex but in a nutshell it is that there's been a lot of trading that takes place within the city with each other. And a lot of these trades are completely zero-sum games. When, I, when we say zero-sum, that means um, someone will lose out on, on this trade. So when I go to the newsagent and I buy an apple, um, the newsagent wins because he gets money and I win because I get an apple. Whereas if I go to the betting shop and I bet on a horse winning, then either the, the owner of that betting shop is going to win or I'm going to win. Someone is going to lose money. Uh, and the same is uh, in a way when you're trading shares on a short term basis. If you are buying a share, you think it's going to go up and someone thinks it's going to go down and someone is right and someone is wrong. So always there will be in, in the short term a winner and a loser. Now, in the long term, that may not necessarily um, apply, but a lot of the trades that take place in the city are uh, zero sum games where someone is a winner, someone is a loser. And when we look at it in the round, is there that much real, um, real value being added? Uh, that is questionable. 
So this is actually um, now moving towards really our second topic and one of the things that we will uh, that we will talk about, which is the problems uh, with the financial system uh, that we have today from an Islamic perspective. And one of them is arguably that we have this financial system which is completely unconstrained and maybe too large uh, for a stable economy and and for a uh, an economy that's fair. And there's a great poem by uh, a poet called Humbert Wolf, which um, summarizes really what uh, goes on in the city, and it's a bit uh, uh, it, you know perfectly encapsulates what's happening. So it says, in the city they sell and buy, but nobody ever asks them why. But since it contents them to buy and sell, God forgive them, they might as well. And that really um, is a, a quite a good characterization of what happens in the city uh, with a lot of the trading that happens. Um, now, we're not, uh, there, there is a whole other topic that we can go into about trading generally, uh, especially short-term trading and the potential benefits that may arise out of that and whether or not uh, futures trading is permissible, option trading is permissible, forwards and uh, CFDs, derivatives and etc, etc. And we can, uh, you know, we've got the rest of the Quran to go through this and, and we can carry on this thing uh, in, in future discussions as well. So we'll go into that then. But um, to summarise, you know, just take a step back, where are we? Uh, we were talking about enjoining economic good and forbidding economic evil. And uh, one of the ways that we need to, uh, one of the ways we can do that is by understanding where we are today in our current economy, in our current economic system, financial system, and to understand how it works. And then secondly, to understand what are the problems with that financial system. And then thirdly, to come up with um, solutions, Islamic solutions to these problems. And where we are, where we were just discussing was, well, what does this system look like? And um, we've got to the stage where we have these three bubbles. One is uh, people who make stuff. One is people who um, allow uh, money to flow into the system, the financial industry. The third is the employees, uh, who are also, by the way, a lot of the source of the capital. And then at the top, you've got the government, you've got regulators, um, and you've got supranational bodies like, uh, you know, maybe the IMF or uh, the uh, Basel um, banking supervisory type committees and uh, and things like that. So that's roughly uh, the picture that we're working with. Now I won't go on too long because I, I, I really would like to just only ever speak for 45-50 minutes maximum. Um, so if, if that is the structure of the financial system, um, what are the problems of that financial system? Well, to my mind there are two ways of thinking about it. One is that there are certain macroeconomic issues, um, if you want to call it that, and then there are certain structural issues um, as well. And the macroeconomic issues, I mean, one of the big ones is thinking about the concept of money. And this is um, something that a lot of literature has been written on and uh, is something that you know, I, I continue to study and look into. Uh, there's a great website out there called positivemoney.org. Uh, so you guys should check it out. They, um, they've done a fair amount of research on this topic and they've even uh, encouraged MPs and managed and succeeded to get a debate in Parliament on this very topic. And their, uh, their thesis is that, uh, and it's not necessarily a thesis, it's actually, um, it actually bears out in, in, the, uh, in the world, uh, 
which is that the 97% of our money is uh, popped into existence by the creation uh, of debt by banks. So debt banks have the ability to create money and destroy money when loans are, are withdrawn, uh, are paid back. And only 3% of the money in circulation is actually in, in the form of co coins and cash, uh, etc. The rest is just digits, zeros and ones in our bank accounts, and they can be created and destroyed by banks uh, when they issue uh, and uh, issue loans to people. And that means that structurally we have an Islamic economy where the very nature of money is such that it is linked to interest. And what that means is we don't necessarily have, if all of the loans in the world were called in today, we simply do not have the money to pay for those loans. And so we need to have this ever expanding cycle of more money being created, i.e. more debt being issued in order to get us to a stage where we can, uh, where we can you know, keep running uh, on, a, on a treadmill where we're staying in the same spot. Uh, and that is uh, something that we have then seen uh, leads to all sorts of uh, economic problems, uh, such as uh, the ones that we've seen in the financial crisis, etc. So, uh, so that's the first issue, and um, I don't propose to go into any of these in detail today. Maybe, inshallah, next next time uh, we can um, we can do that. In terms of the structural issues, again, just to give you a brief summary of the three structural issues that I would like to talk about. The first is that um, we li we live in a in a society where uh, the economy is dominated by the financial sector. So we need to think about how do we reduce the role of, um, uh, how do we reduce the, the footprint of the financial sector on our wider economy? Uh, and, and we can go into, issue, uh, go into details about that. The second thing is that um, we um, have a legal framework where interest is a crucial part of how uh, we uh, we deal with various um, issues. So, um, you know, a simple uh, example is that in any case of delay of payment for money, there is interest that is charged. Well, how do we deal with that? Well, uh, potentially putting in penalty clauses. Well, penalty clauses might not be um, allowed under uh, contractual law in certain circumstances. So we will have a discussion about that. The second, uh, the third topic is the role of sadaqah and zakat and uh, charity in the economy. Now, this is something that is often overlooked, but a huge part of a Muslim economy is actually the, the, the third sector, if you want to call it that, the charitable sector. And, and that is seen uh, as much more uh, important and has a much bigger role in an Islamic economy in order to uh, facilitate certain things that need to be done in an Islamic economy. And then the final thing is talking about um, getting rid of uh, interest and uh, moving away from debt financing to equity financing and is that feasible and how would that work and is there a role for debt financing in Islam still and then also thinking about um, how do we um, structure uh, the deals that go go on in, in, uh, in business and emphasizing much more an alignment between those who have given the money and those who are using the money, i.e. some kind of partnership arrangement and making sure that the alignment of interest between the fund managers and the, you know, the people who have been given or entrusted the money is completely in sync with those whose money they are using. Because where that is not in sync, 
we see all of the kind of excess that we have seen uh, that led to uh, multiple financial crises. So, so that's the other thing uh, to talk about the alignment of interests and what Islam has to say uh, about that. Um, so I, I'll, I'll stop there because I think I've been uh, going on a bit. Uh, I, I see that there is a, uh, a comment from uh, Shahina. I'll, I'll, I'll deal with that um, right now. I'll put a few um, recommendations in the comments. But to summarize, really, we've looked at um, Surah Baqarah verses 2 and 3. And um, we've discussed three key themes. The one is uh, making sure we don't forget the bigger picture. The second thing is that we don't, uh, we don't take the easy way out. We don't just take a view on things and we actually really properly try and ensure that we are um, adhering to our Islamic principles to the best of our abilities. And then the third thing is enjoining economic good and, and forbidding economic evil. What does that look like and how can we do that? And inshallah, that is the topic that we will be picking up um, on next week as well. Uh, so Jazakallah khairan um, for um, everyone for tuning in. Uh, let me um, quickly answer your question, Shaina. So he says, can you put the recommendations in the comments? So this is um, a book by a man called John Kay. Um, any of his books are pretty good, actually. Uh, let me just... Um, Let me just double check what the name of the book is. Yeah, Other People's Money is the book's name. And uh, I recommend that as a great book. Um, anything really by, by John Kay is pretty good. Uh, PositiveMoney.org was, um, was the other source I referenced. Um, and of course, you know, obviously our website, uh, to the extent that you haven't come across it before, um, on specifically Islamic finance related topics and dis discussions and debates. Um, so check that out. Um, I'll give you guys just a, a few more seconds in case, uh, there's a few more questions. But otherwise, Jazakallah um, khairan to everyone for tuning in. Inshallah, the next session is preliminarily going to be uh, in two weeks' time. So that's the 1st of um, December, uh, Saturday the 1st of December. We'll keep it at the same time, 7pm. And uh, if you can't make it, then uh, we'll always be uploading this to YouTube as well. So you'll be able to catch up through there as well. Jazakallah uh, khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.